You read the Bible, Greg. You talking to me? Come along, Samuels. Keep up. Wait, wait. Let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, there's past. So what you want? Jesus freak. Got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 net scouts. <laughs> Start to see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello and welcome to the Film and Loathing podcast for Friday, October 11th, 2019. This is episode number 45, and I'm Blake. I'm... Uh. <laughs> and I'm Zach. Coming up, we have a review of Todd Phillips' very controversial Joker. Very controversial. Mm. We'll also be talking about some other things that we watched this week and uh, whatever else comes up along the way. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. How you guys doing this week? Big week. Big, big week. Yeah? In terms of? I bought Nintendo Switch. That is a big big week. Did you get the Pokemon game with it? No, the Pokemon game is not out until next month. No, there's a one that already came out like a year ago or something like that. Are you holding off? There's a new one out next month. You're holding off for it? Isn't that like Shield and Sword or whatever? Yeah. Right now I'm playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. I heard that game was so cool. It's pretty cool. Mm. I almost bought chips. Dude, Chip wanted two fifty. I got a brand new one for less than two fifty. Mm. Well, he probably bought it for like three hundred. That's, that's what like... That's I got the Switch Lite. So the Switch Lite is designed for handheld use only. It doesn't connect to the TV. Mm. Which is what I wanted, so I went that route. I kind of like the idea of being able to cast it on the TV, though. Yeah, but it's... I held, like, an actual Switch before I made my decision, and then, like, my hands were, like... It's like this, trying to play it. Whereas the, the Switch Lite's much smaller. Oh, it's smaller? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. I thought it was, like, the same size. Just you couldn't detach the side joystick cons or whatever they're called. What's the comparison of girth? The, uh... The Switch Lite is much thinner. Oh, okay. You like that? You like it a lot thinner? Do. It's mm. like, it's still, I don't know, like when you're used to like an Xbox controller, like you're used to that sort of distance, and this was much wider, but I'm getting used to it. So okay. what you're telling me is it's more Consoles are dead, is what I'm telling you. I think you're saying that y- you like them chody. I do. No, he doesn't. You got the it's, thin one. Yeah, but it's wider but thinner, so it's less tall. Right, so, so that's not so very girthy. So, yeah, so the Nintendo, uh, uh. If it's wide, doesn't that mean it's girthy? I thought girthy was like... Mm, well, I guess maybe by its dimensions it's girthy. I mean, if it's laying on its back, that's what I'm looking at. So the Nintendo Switch compared actually, to the... No, 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 it's actually not girthy at all. Because I think it just measures around, right? So, yeah. like... If this is your thing, right, that's the girth. But if your thing's super slim, the girth isn't very big at all. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 
I'm not indulging you in this game. The things that can be compared to penises, and you're missing out on them. Here's the most important part of the Nintendo Switch. Let me show you. Now you can switch to your television. Was there a pun in there? I think so. <laughs> Look at those cases, right? It's a nice case. Very. Oh, they're uni- all matching. Very uniform looking. You hold those a little closer. That's very nice. So, so they're, they are for because this is a, an audio podcast, not visual. Uh, Switch cases all have a red spine with white lettering for the title. This is, dare I say, utopia. This is a standard that all Blu-ray manufacturers <coughs> should adopt. This is like a, a console case that was made for Zach. Basically, yes. Is that is that really why you went for the Switch? You're just I, so anal about accident. the games? Really? I, I refuse to believe that that wasn't calculated somehow. <laughs> well, as soon as I... So I hadn't bought it yet, but then I walked into GameStop and I saw the games and I was like... Oh my god. They're all the same. <laughs> could look at this for hours. That was the deciding factor in, in which we was going to buy. Uh, then, so I, I get there, and like she's like, the employee, hey, do you need help find anything? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to buy a Nintendo Switch today. And she was like, okay, uh, do you know what color? Uh, I have gray turquoise or banana yellow and i said (laughs) well i don't hate myself and i'm not a six-year-old girl so i think i'll take the gray so you went the banana yellow you didn't go banana yellow i did not it's gross it's one of the grossest things ever Mm, i believe that how a company like nintendo could have such beautiful uniform spines on their cases and then make something as hideous as that i don't understand I guess it's because you're not a teenage girl. That's probably true. The, the turquoise is for the teenage well, Zach, girl. Take your. Which would you rather have? A uniformed game case, or the most perfect console color? Uniform game case. There you go. You got it, bud. Beautiful. <laughs> this is the best of your world. They checked every box. Well, brother Zach, this was also. A pretty good week for myself as well. I went home today, Chris, with not one, not two, not three, not even four. Wow. Not five. Oh, my gosh. But six (laughs) new (laughs) movies, four of which were glorious UHD Blu-ray. Those include (laughs) Pan's Labyrinth. Nice. Toy Story 4. I haven't seen it. Casino. Still haven't seen it. And my brand new Pride and Joy, The Shining. Nice. They nailed it with that cover. Zach, you were talking about how bad the Midsummer case was. You can't say that about the you can't say that about the Shining cover. If any representatives from A24 are listening, and they are, I'm sure they are. Um. <laughs> You only have yourself to blame for not receiving my $20 for the Midsummer Blu-ray. 
because it's fucking gross. <laughs> it's disgusting looking, and you should be ashamed. Yeah, I looked at it, and I decided uh, <laughs> something about it that I could wait. But Shadow... Um, um, shit, I can't remember the director's name. Zom, um, Ron Howard. The guy who directed The Wall and Hero, House of Daggers. That is uh, a really nice cover. Matt Damon? No. <laughs> can't remember. Anyway, price drop at Best Buy. I had to get it. Walk by the four ninety nine bin, Chris. Mm-hmm. What do I see right on the top? What did you see on the top? L.A. Confidential. Oh, my snag, gosh. Snag that. Came home, went to Blu-ray.com. On sale this week, Shaun of the Dead, $4.99. Picked That's that a steal. Uh, why would you buy too. that? 4K releases. Literally just released on 4K. I'm sorry. Some things... See, I used to be like a hardcore 4K dick rider. Oh, yeah. The month and a half you've had it, you used to be. <laughs> I've had it way before that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just like I just want a good transfer, you know. I just want it to look nice. Okay, you want it to look nice, so you won't buy it in the most pristine way in which you could watch it. Yeah, why don't you tell that to Terminator Two Judgment Day, Zach? Uh, it's not the most. That's why I don't own it. It's not the most pristine way I could watch it. Right. So you're talking to me about owning, trying to own everything on 4K because it looks so beautiful. I'm saying that it's a good transfer to the 4K, so it inherently looks better than the good transfer on the Blu-ray. I don't think you're right. I don't think you're right about that, Zachary. I don't think you're right about that, brother. Yeah, you uh, must have so much experience in your two months as a 4K owner, and I forgot. Oh my fucking god. Guy reads, guy reads one form, thinks he's, thinks he's fucking Mr. Samsung. Well, uh, this guy, <laughs> like, like three weeks ago, swears off buying movies. Now he's just back in the game, back to buying everything, Mr. Minimalist. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not back to buying anything. I'm just saying, when I buy something... It's going to be in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out of this. I'm tapping out. Oh, and to top it off, Chris, the cherry on top mm-hmm. was as a thank you for my Criterion Channel membership, got a $10 off coupon. Any, criteri- any Criterion movie. You decided you know which one you're going to apply to? I'm going to wait for the sale. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Can you apply it with the sale price? I sure can. Oh my gosh, see that's and, that's a golden ticket. And it doesn't expire. Whoa, that's a real golden ticket. So my plan uh-huh. is when the Godzilla box set goes half price, take another ten bucks off. That's actually going to be pretty badass. I like Godzilla. I just box love, set. I just love the look of the box set. It looks so cool. I haven't seen it. I don't know. It's pretty steep. It's pretty steep. What's the it's price like point? One ninety. No, ninety. You can pre-order it right now for a lot cheaper than that. Oh, let's see here. Blu-ray.com, real quick. Unless they got rid of the sale, or for a long while they were having a sale. If you could get it for like, oh yeah, yeah. Can pre-order it right now for one sixty-five. That's how many movie? How many? What's in it? Like how many are in there? There are uh, fifteen. Oh, that's worth it then. Fifteen movies. 
I'd spend fifty. I'd spend one hundred sixty-five bucks on that if I were into that type of thing. It goes from the original Godzilla all the way up to your Terror of Mecha Godzilla and released in nineteen seventy-five. Mecha mm. Godzilla is badass. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. So maybe I could get that whole thing for seventy bucks. That is the steal of a lifetime, Jake. That would really get me going, Chris. Mm, mm, I'd be impressed. So would I. Chris, did you have just as equally a good a week? I got a free lens. Pretty cool. And it's not for a Canon, but somebody lost it at work, and it's been sitting there for like over two months. So they're like, here, Chris, you can have it. Will you now tailor your camera purchase based on what this lens will fit? No. I would, it's not even for the brand I have. I got, if I would anything, I'd have to buy an adapter for it if it even will work. I don't know. if It's just a lens. It's a 27 millimeter. It's a very odd focal length. I don't know. I, it's just what it came at. Apparently, it's pretty expensive. How did you confirm this information? I don't know. I Googled it, and it said it was like 450 bucks. What's the manufacturer? Fujifilm. Hmm. Did you take it to Haas at Bond Stars? I did not. Because I know what happens. I'd walk in and be like, the best I can do is mm, 20 bucks. And then I'd get out of there and be like, oh, I was really hoping to get like 250. He'd be like, well, you see here, you see this little scratch in the end? That means it's not an original production. All right. And then I would have to bend to his will. He would have me in the palm of his hand. I would be like, you know, warm putty. Best I can do is uh, uh tree fitty. I say about tree fitty. I'm excited to talk about South Park. Did you, did you watch the three episodes? I didn't watch the third one, but I watched the first two. The third one's great. Oh really? Oh shit! I gotta watch it then. I'm probably. So I'll, just, gonna... I'll just tell you this. So, Cartman is afraid of needles, so he becomes um an anti-vaxer. <laughs> and he wears, <laughs> oh boy he wears a shirt that has a giant uterus on it and it says um oh um shit something like my body my choice <laughs> <laughs> and like when oh they boy. when they try to get him to like uh take his shots he like tries to run away from the doctor and he squeals like a pig it's so funny <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a real good time. Last season dipped. This season's back on the... It's back up. Oh, yeah. I freaking love Tegrity Farms, man. Dude, as soon as the first episodes were that, I was like, okay, Chris is going to love this. Tegrity Farms is so funny. That's I knew I'm... Chris would like the second episode like with all the all the Disney characters. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to China for a bigger market. And he's like, Oh, really? Did you just think of that within, like, the last 30 seconds? Because that's totally my idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, dude. So far, so good. Like, this this honestly has been one of the best seasons that's come out in a while. Yeah, it's been great. 300. Focusing it on Tegrity Farms and around that family has been awesome. I mean, Tegrity Farms is the best thing to happen to the show since PC Principal. I love the new I love the new theme song too that opens up. 
I just like how Towley eventually breaks down. He's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> right in the middle of the whole theme song. To celebrate 300 episodes, they like do. They have it as Randy is celebrating $300,000 worth of sales. It's pretty good. It's like it's the opening scene. Oh, nice. Well, shit, I guess we better fucking record this so I can go watch it, huh? All right, you guys want to uh, talk about Joker then? Might as well. Yeah, not really. I think I'll dip out on this one. <laughs> you might as well, man. Uh, so Joker is directed by Todd Phillips, stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy, and the plot synopsis is in Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his alter ego, the Joker. What did you guys think of Todd Phillips' Joker? Should we... Start by just saying, oh, yeah, first, full first spoiler off, review. disclaimer. Yes, if you haven't seen it yet, this isn't the episode for you. Pause it right now. Go see it. Come back. Well, if they pause it when you said they wouldn't have heard you say that. Oh, that's true. Okay, so now pause it now. All right, what'd you guys think of the Joker or Joker? <laughs> well, I don't think you can talk about the Joker without talking about the controversy behind Joker. And I don't think it's fair that the movie is being written off because it's directed by Todd Phillips. And I think there's a large percentage of people that are writing off the movie because of Todd Phillips. And they're saying, Oh, the guy who fucking directed The Hangover, what does he know about making a movie like Joker? And those same people are the same ones who got mad at Martin Scorsese for saying that Marvel movies aren't cinema. Same people. With that being said, I'm about five days removed from Joker. And, um... I'm really getting it. Alright. <laughs> and, uh... I would say... I would like to see it again. But, um, you know, I very much enjoyed Todd Phillips' Joker. Mm-hmm. Thank fucking goodness. I thought it was going to be two against one again. All right. This will be fun. All right. Go ahead. Continue. Let the claws come out. I'm fucking ready to go. I think uh, it's wonderfully directed, beautifully shot, great color palettes. Great costumes, great sets. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is, of course, incredible. Um, I think what I I think what I dislike about the movie is sort of what's holding the movie back, which is the fact that it's a comic book movie and this need to sort of tether it to a comic book universe. I think there's some stuff in there that I don't particularly enjoy. But I would say as a character study of, like, someone becoming the Joker, I think it's excellent. What was the part that kind of tied it down for you? I don't like... So I like the idea of, like, 
in this world, um, it would be easy why low-income people, poor people, would see Thomas Wayne as a villain. Mm-hmm. But I think the big Thomas Wayne like arc and storyline is not that interesting. Like the Joker being related to him, or him just, being running just for mayor. Him having to be in here, like it feels so obligated to put like the death of Bruce Wayne's parents into this movie, just to remind you that it's a comic book movie and is related to Batman, and it just it feels very unnecessary for the story they're trying to tell. I mean, it was definitely unnecessary to <laughs> tie him to them, but I understand the necessity for some sort of rich figure to be present throughout the movie when a lot of it's based upon I'm fine. class. I don't I'm understand why he'd be using, Thomas Wayne. No, I see I'm fine with him using the name Thomas Wayne and him like having that small, small role. But his role increasingly gets bigger and like that's when it that's the part that I don't like because it's like it feels like it feels like it's there by obligation to remind you that this is a comic book movie. I guess so. I mean, is that is that the, like the story, or is this an original story, or is it from a? Is this based on a comic book? No. No, what? It's not based on a comic book. So this is an original story. Kind of. It's like bits and pieces. There's no true Joker origin story. Okay. Okay. All right, I get what you're saying. I mean, I like all the Thomas Wayne stuff, and I like how it ties into, you know, a bigger picture beyond him. I like the minimal role Bruce Wayne plays into it. Well, but he'd be a child. I know, that's what I'm saying, though, is that I like the minimum role he plays into it. Though, isn't that interesting, though? Because, like, technically in this universe, should Batman and the Joker, like, ever face off, Bruce Wayne will be, like, 25, and the Joker will be 70. Well, who's to say that the Joker that he faces isn't a copycat of this Joker? I mean, if Joaquin Phoenix reprises his role and they do a Batman vs. Joker movie... I don't think there's going to be a sequel. I'm answering your question that you propose. Your hypothetical question. I can answer your hypothetical <laughs> well, this with is a hypothetical hanging. situation. No, you're just you're hanging that all on if they do a sequel. I'm saying I don't think they're going to do a sequel. I'm just bringing up as a point of conversation. Like, in theory, Batman vs. Joker would be a 25-year-old versus a man in a nursing home. In theory, perhaps. Does Joaquin Phoenix put on as good of a performance if he has to go against a different character? A different character. If it's not a standalone, does he give off as good a performance? Um, I guess it depends on the Batman and who it is, Batman, and what that performance is like. Him and Robert Pattinson. They would be amazing. They would both be amazing. Be interesting for sure. I don't know. I, w- I would have to see that movie but to- before I could say anything. Because I think the way he plays off his mother and the way he plays off Robert De Niro, like, they... is, is very good. <laughs> like, those are interesting dynamics. So, like, he can clearly play with another actor who's just as good as he is. So, like, having a movie where that is the whole movie is, like, them butting heads... Yeah, I think he would still be as good. 
I don't know. I kind of have a hard time picturing him being a competitor. Well, that's a good thing we're not here to talk about hypothetical movies that will never exist. Well, Jesus We're talking about one that does exist. Wow, Jake, he does not like hypotheticals. Well, just a second ago, he loved them, so I don't know what this guy's doing. <laughs> no, I was playing your game here. Mm. Wow. But, Chris, you were, you were a big fan of the Joker, too? I, I really would like to ask it. you just one question, Chris. All right, go ahead, Zach. There we go. So, Joaquin Phoenix had to lose a lot of weight for this role. So, would this movie be... <laughs> so, is his oh, performance boy. better than Christian Bale's in Vice? Or is gaining weight more impressive than losing it? Oh, my gosh. I give kudos <laughs> to him losing weight. I think it doesn't dictate the superiority of a performance over another. But I give props where props is due. He lost weight. He looked grotesque. I'm impressed with that feat in itself. I mean, like, Joaquin Phoenix had to abstain from eating food, and Christian Bale just had to indulge in it. I mean, I'd imagine it's a lot more fun to, you know, have to indulge than to have to, uh, you know, abstain. It's probably true. I I don't know. I've never done it, but... Gosh darn it. (laughs) Do you think... Do you think he ever ate, like, a lot of pies and he just felt really bad afterwards? He was like... I don't know if I can keep going like this, Mr. McKay. I don't think I can keep eating all these pies. You think Mr. You think Adam McKay was just like really strict about it too? It's like you know, you Christian Bill, you eat those fucking pies. You eat that fucking raspberry pie. I'm gonna fucking bake that pie for you. You're gonna fucking eat it, kid. That's t- that's tax deductible. All right, eat that fucking pie. No, I think Christian Bale enjoys it because he looks at the roles where he doesn't have to gain or lose weight. He looks at the roles where he does, and then he's like, I'm going to go for the one I have to eat a lot, because I'm going to get an Oscar. Doesn't equate to an Oscar. But Chris, before Zach's hypothetical, you were about to say your thoughts on Joker? I mean, I was I was a fan. Um, I liked Ben... I, I thought that he was a very good performance, like Zach said. I thought the color palette was really cool. I like the score. Um, I don't know. I mean, as a whole, I think it was really interesting. I was not expecting you to spend so much time with Arthur Fleck in comparison to the Joker, because I think that's what I would assume most people would go into the movie thinking, is that you're going to spend more a lot of time with the Joker. But you don't. You're spending more time with Arthur Fleck and seeing that transition to him becoming the Joker, which I think is really cool. Um and then hearing your synopsis of King of Comedy, like, last week, and then watching this go on, I see the similarities in it, based strictly on him imagining the woman from down the hall, which I thought was a really odd thing to throw in there. I didn't quite understand why it was there. Another thing I'm not crazy about. Um, I didn't see the necessity in her being imaginary. I think... I think the movie would be a lot better if he attempts to have an actual relationship, like an actual healthy relationship with another person, because he doesn't have that with anyone. No. And I think that would really like hit home like his mental state 
if you see him interact with quote unquote a normal individual. Mm. Mm-hmm. But instead, of, like we get this. Oh, he imagined that he had a girlfriend. Which, like, when it's revealed, it seems as though it's supposed to be pretty profound. And I don't really think it is. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. That wasn't wasn't overly crazy about it. Much like I wasn't overly crazy about Joker itself. I think well, I don't know. I guess technically as a whole, I did like it. I did have fun with it, more or less. But um I liked yeah, yeah, because I was radicalized, man. It's interesting to note that we all saw it and lived to tell the tale. So. Yeah, so that was cool. I'm so not going to lie. I did get a little freaked out. There was one guy with a ponytail who walked in, and he was by himself. Was he wearing a Marilyn Manson t-shirt? He was not wearing a Marilyn Manson t-shirt, but oh, he, had, he had gauges in. Oh, boy. And he was wearing all black, and I was oh, like, Jesus. shit, this is how it happens, man. Oh, it must fuck. be where he keeps his shotgun shells. <laughs> Just in between his gauges. <laughs> what I like, I think, what I like most about Joker was that it was a lot more time spent with Arthur Fleck, and not so much Joker, because I loved Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck. I didn't care for him as the Joker. It felt let's see, so like it's been a week since I saw it, but I while watching it, I remember thinking. Like, he seems like he's putting on a performance and, like, a, he's playing a character, Arthur Fleck. But then when he becomes the Joker, it just feels like he's Joaquin Phoenix. Like, I didn't, fe- like I didn't feel anything special about his Joker. Um, but, like, him as an unstable comedian, like, I loved all of that stuff. I think ultimately what the problem is for me is just how empty this movie really is. Like, I, like, this movie is very reminiscent of Taxi Driver. It's very reminiscent of King of Comedy. Like, so much so that this movie just feels like, it's like one of those pictures where it's Joaquin Phoenix, but it's made up of pictures of Joaquin Phoenix. It's like one of those things. It's like the Joker, but made up of just Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. There are so many elements of it that it's borrowing that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like its own thing. Like, did you guys get that at all? No. I haven't seen King of Comedy, and I saw Taxi, like, a long time ago. So, I'm not going to lie, when I went into it, I kind of... It felt as if it was its own thing, just because it's been... I've been so separated from those other two, so I couldn't honestly make the like, comparison. Like, I just feel like Robert De Niro's character um, in King of Comedy... And Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver, I just feel like those are way more developed characters. And what we see them go through in those movies, like, way better capture what what a descent into madness is like. Whereas with this, I don't think, like, anything that, like, some profound things happen. Like, you could, but, like, it feels like big leaps to think that. What happened to Arthur Fleck would push him over the edge, where it doesn't feel that way in Travis Bickle's case or in King of Comedy. 
I mean, you're not dealing with an average man here. Like you're not you're you're dealing with somebody who clearly has some already established issues for the necessity of seven different medications that he feels he needs to take along with medical medical professionals telling him he needs to take. Somebody who's already been, you know, institutionalized for the lack of having said medication. Yeah, but Travis Bickle is obviously not a very stable person either, especially when he gets his radical ideas and is willing to act out on those. The, and it's the same thing for the for Robert De Niro's character in The King of Comedy as well. Like okay, it's very often like the time with them that there's something off with them. But for those two movies, there's no preconceived notions of where those films have to go. This has the unfair sort of you know, it has the unfair thing put upon it where it has to end up at a certain point, whereas Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy do not. What? Okay, that kind of feels like a cop-out excuse for defending the movie. I agree with Jake on that one. Okay, but we, we know he has to become the Joker. We know he has to do these terrible, like, criminal acts. He yeah, has but, to. Like, if the movie ends without him doing them, you feel robbed of your Joker no, movie. I'm fine. Like, no, no, it's fine where it ends up. It's just everything in the middle. I never felt like you're actually analyzing anything. Like you're not nothing's actually happening to him. Like it's all like it's all like ridiculous stuff that like I don't know, I don't feel like it's actually anything anything that doesn't feel believable to me. I, I mean, he was been shit on by literally every almost every single person besides one person. Yeah, okay, but think about how many movies have characters or people are shit on and it doesn't end up that way. Do you know well, what I mean? It's not just shit it's on. Imagine, like, imagine finding out that, that your entire life is a lie. Like, that's essentially what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I, not working for me here. Okay, we literally, within the first 40 minutes of the movie, we see three, two groups of guys beat the shit out of them. So, like... Sensing a pattern here, and this probably happens to him quite a bit. And he's told by his boss that nobody wants to be around him because they think he's weird and they don't yeah, like him and they don't trust all him. That stuff is, all that stuff is so weak, though. Like, how many times has that been done before? Like, it's not – like, so Todd Phillips is going on and on and on about how this movie, like, comments on what's happening in like society like it says something but he doesn't say anything that hasn't been said before in a million times like yeah obviously todd phillips like us as the society and the way we allow things to happen have negative consequences on those we neglect like obviously like nothing's profound about that why does it have to go deeper than that Okay, well, I feel like when you make claims about this thing as an in-depth look at something, and you give me what you give, like, it it doesn't feel significant at all. Yeah, but you spend two hours with a single character, and the story would usually be told in about two and a half minutes if it were part of a bigger movie. Wait, what do you... Say that again? I... So, in any other... So like when we get um, Warmonger's backstory for in Black Panther, his whole backstory is maybe ten minutes of the movie, and then mm-hmm. you accept that, you accept his reasonings for doing those. This shows you the in depth, like what drives him to become what he is, which is someone who's on the fringes, finally being accepted by a community, and it just happens to be that it's a violent terrorist community. 
Maybe. Like, I get everything that happens. All I'm saying is, I don't think it's... I don't think it's as critical of anything as what Todd Phillips is saying that it is. Like, Taxi Driver, like, you have characters who are actively challenging Travis Bickle's ideas. There are people who actively challenge Joker's ideas, too. Who? Robert De Niro. Thomas Wayne. Robert De Niro in one... Robert De Niro in one scene of the movie at the very end, and it's, Thomas Wayne doesn't in mean it's one not scene. happening. Yeah, but it's like a couple times that just thrown in like one scene, like oh here you go, like in case like you didn't understand what we were getting at here's this one scene of exposition to get across to you in case you couldn't figure it out. Like all throughout Taxi Driver, like his morals are being brought into question. And then he's ultimately, and then he's ultimately meant to face those and be and decide what kind of person he wants to be. Throughout this, throughout this, it's never like I don't think it's ever. He's never questioning anything. It's just one more step into Matt. Like never, like never questioning of what he's doing is wrong. It's just dark, deeper and deeper, deeper down the rabbit hole. Well, because he tries to do the positive. Well, look at it from his perspective. He tries to do every positive thing that he possibly can, and then he just gets beat up. He gets shit on. He basically finds out that he finds out that he was an adoption at a ploy of trying to get into Thomas Wayne's life. And then the one moment he does something horrible, he's praised for it. He doesn't need to be challenged because everything that he's doing wrong is being reinforced as positive no no no. he does have to be challenged because the filmmaker said that this film is critical and analytical of what's happening so when you lack those things the film in of itself is not being critical that's my problem like i mean it's it's challenging i'm following it's challenging just the general person's ideas because if you're going into this movie with the idea of what the joker is doing is right then it's basically battling against what you are thinking. What? No, wait, what? Say that again? Okay, so if you're looking at the movie as two ideas clashing, as a deep analysis, you don't need and to those have two that. And I- those two ideas are? What I'm saying is I'm not saying there are two ideas. There's one idea. The other idea is your idea. The other idea being you know what's right. You know what the Joker, what he's doing is right, so why can't it be... Your idea versus the character's idea. How is this movie challenging my ideas? He fucking murders people. And what he's that, saying that, that it's justified. How does that challenge my ideas? Wouldn't challenging my you ideas be... That you no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. No, hold on. Wouldn't challenging my ideas be... I have a something, right? So I think I shouldn't kill someone. Challenging my ideas would be seeing it in the movie and then me going, wow, I never thought about that. Maybe, like, I should kill someone do you that's, not think that the three guys he kills on the train is justified is it ju- the maybe a two in self-defense but then the third you can't admit is cold blood uh that guy still beat the shit out of him was still a part of that wait okay hold on you guys are derailing this <laughs> you guys are derailing this totally like tell you have yet to tell me how anything challenges my ideas like, will you not admit that to challenge my idea, I would have to walk out of it questioning something? That I don't. I think that scene wrong. right there is challenging your preconceived notion of murder. Like, you go into that movie thinking that Wait, it's wrong, it's, and this is showing you a this is showing you a scenario, 
in which maybe it wasn't. No, it's how is that not challenging what your idea and then he's praised of that? for it? And then the, literally an entire following of people come out of the woodwork because he killed three rich guys and they're saying this is the best thing that's ever happened to Gotham City. How would that not be like how is that not enough to radicalize someone? And it doesn't even stop there. He keeps going. More things happen after that. Yeah, but then those later things aren't challenging anything. Like, I know those are all morally terribly wrong. Right, but they, there is certainly a point in which you sympathize with Arthur Fleck, and then it grows and grows and grows, and then there is a point where you can no longer, you yes. can no longer justify what he is doing. And I think that is ultimately the point. I don't think you're supposed to be rooting for him at the final scene. No, I'm not. again, I'm not questioning any of this. Like, I understand all of that. What I'm saying is, is there's nothing in the film itself that crit- that is critical of itself. I disagree. Okay, uh, what's an example? Okay, where it's like critical said, of itself. The okay, the scene you, okay. So in, with Joker and Robert De Niro, that yes. is the best example you're gonna have, and you already shot it down because. Well, it's only one scene at the end of the movie. It's only one scene. Exactly. It's only one scene at the end of the movie. Like, to be critical of itself, like, wouldn't you admit that the entire movie should have things? You can't say that it's shoehorned because it's literally the only interaction he has with that character. So how could it come anywhere else? But you can have other characters throughout the entire movie all questioning his stuff right up until the end. Like, that would be critical of itself to continuously do it. But one interaction over one scene of dialogue is not challenging itself it's a pretty significant scene yeah but it only takes up 10 minutes of a two-hour movie and but that's the, the only time you but, but the rest of it matter. oh my god the rest, rest of the movie is so trying so hard to love this thing no you're just trying extra hard to hate it because todd phillips said one thing in an interview that you don't think is right why shouldn't i hold him to that like in an interview and you say like, this movie's very in-depth. Like, it's critical of itself. And, like, the idea of people uh, slipping into madness and resulting to violence, like, it's critical of that. It's not critical of that at all. I don't know. It, it does not affect my viewing of the movie. I think it is very... <laughs> I think it it is. affects my viewing when that's supposed to be the point of the movie, and it doesn't do that. I think the importance think of the scene is just as important. I, I think the importance well, I of the scene is just as important as how many times something happens. I'm gonna agree with Chris here. Like that, that scene is not just some throwaway scene that they shoehorned in. It is a big set piece that they are building towards. Yeah, but again, like it's not it's not shoehorned in. It's not like he got a phone call from Robert De Niro, like, "Hey, kid, the things you're doing are bad." Like, no, like it is building to this very climactic point with which he breaks. Because before that scene, Joaquin Phoenix, as Joker, is planning to kill himself on the show. But then because of this big climactic moment, he doesn't. Okay, so maybe shoehorn is not the right word. But even still, throughout the whole movie, there's opportunities of it to be critical of itself. Even if, like, to come up, you maybe use the Zazzy Beats character as, like, a similar thing to Travis Bickle's girlfriend in Taxi Driver instead of making it yeah, this thing where she's imaginary. Yeah, like, tra- Taxi Driver? It doesn't say it has to be. I'm just using examples of how Taxi Driver is a film that's critical of itself and how it is critical of itself, where Joker is not. 
But why does it have to be critical of itself? Because Todd Phillips said that it was. Why throughout the entirety? Like because it's critical that... of itself in a moment, in oh, a very wait, crucial wait, moment, the most important okay. moment. In a very crucial moment, it is critical of itself. Why does it? Why does it? There have to be a constant like, I here's this one action. Okay, well here's a consequential action to negate that, so that we have a fair and balanced movie, and no one can come out of this saying, hmm. Well, I guess, you know, no one really pushed him back on that. Hmm. Like, That's in the, the most crucial point of the movie, it is critical of itself. Why is that not enough? Because I would, because I don't think that is a movie being critical of itself. It's a scene incorporated into it, but like the whole thing isn't. I don't think I buy that. I don't know. I just keep coming back to Taxi Driver because that is an example of why that is an amazing, fantastic movie. And this is just your run-of-the-mill. Just your run-of-the-mill flick. But, like, it it doesn't have to be Taxi Driver. It doesn't have to be compared to Taxi Driver. But it's impossible not to when the story and everything follows exactly like Taxi Driver. But they're not <clears throat> the same. Like, he's been very open about... Similar. He's been very open about his inspiration from Taxi Driver and King Comedy. Sure. But, like, to say, like, to criticize it for not being like Cat Taxi Driver is ridiculous and stupid. I'm not saying that it needs to be like it. Just giving examples of how Taxi Driver, how it uses its stuff and gets across its message versus how Joker utilizes its things. When they're trying to get at the same exact thing, one does it better and one doesn't. I don't know. Like... I don't really care how Taxi it's Driver does one thing. It's as simple as that. Because uh, uh. I'm not, I'm not, we're not reviewing Taxi Driver. We're reviewing Joker. <laughs> so who cares how Taxi Driver did this thing? Like, it's just so it does it not matter. Like, like I'm sure there's lots of movies who handle the exact same materials. That, and they might do it better, sure. But that doesn't mean that they are comparable or that they should be compared. I'm just using those things as an example again to show how one movie is amazing. A five-star film and how another one how it handles its things isn't it's like a three-star film is that your official rating maybe i don't know <laughs> i might just give it a, i might just give it a really low rating just to just because i can you're just gonna stoke the fucking flames <laughs> you're just gonna sit there and poke it you're gonna poke the bear on this one just having fun man just playing a character just playing a bit you know Lulu had six teeth pulled today, so she is a bit out of it. Ooh, dang. Six? That's a lot of teeth. There's still ten more that have to come out. Ten more? What? Why? Sixteen teeth? They're, like, rotting from the inside. Yeah. And so they have to be pulled because the gum is literally, like, separating, and they're becoming attached to the bone. And at that point, like... She said they'll, she'll just stop eating because it will hurt. And so, like, if they don't take them out, they'll just rot until, like, she basically just, like, starves herself because she doesn't want to eat. Ouch. Jeez. Good lord. It's well, rough. sorry. Sorry, Lulu. Yeah, <laughs> take, like, three pills. How do you... Are they suppositories? I think they're orally. You sure? I should take one and find out. 
Shove it up your own ass. Okay, so where were we? Oh, you were right, and we, uh, you were wrong, and we were right. Oh, is that where we left off? Yeah. I believe we were in the middle of our review of Taxi Driver. Oh, that's right. What an amazing film. Oh, no. Basically, I said all that to say that is my big qualm with the movie. Because for me, when I feel like it doesn't land on those notes, it just seems like it sheds mentally unstable people in a poor light. Hmm. Got you thinking there, Zach? What? I don't think it portrays mentally ill people in any sort of negative way. Well, brother, I guess that's where we agree to disagree. I don't think it's saying it. I don't think the movie is saying he's doing these things. Like, be. It's not using the mental illness as justification, it's using it as a reasoning. It's not saying these things are okay because he's mentally ill, that's why he's doing them. It is more of just a contributing factor in a long line of factors. No, no, I I get it. I'm with it. Like, take out mental illness, and a lot of these things would still probably happen. So then I guess that poses the question, why does he have to be mentally ill? Well, I think that comes back to the character itself. Like, that is how the Joker is, has always been. Mentally ill? Like, in and out of psychiatry wards. Why extreme could, narcissist. Well, why now? Now it, you're just you're just judging like the character. Like that is just how it's always been. Well, no, isn't in the comic he becomes the Joker because he falls in like a vat of acid, turns his skin white, and that's how his skin becomes white and his hair becomes green. But like the personality was always there. And was always mentally unstable, a mentally yes. ill person. Yes. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Where was our vat of acid? Give me the vat of acid. But, now aside from all that, I will say, loved Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck. I will not argue with the guys there. But don't you also think that him being mentally ill is a commentary on how he treats mentally ill? Yeah, I think it's trying to get at that. Like when Joaquin Phoenix literally screams, this is what happens when a mentally ill or when a society abandons a mentally unstable person. And don't you think that is sort of. Don't you think that's sort of implicating. Like he's blaming society for how he is. Right. And isn't that always what we do when events like that happen? Blame it's society? Always, it's always. You know, it is a big organization's fault or it's legislature's fault or it's all of this stuff for allowing for allowing assault rifles. This would never happen if assault rifles were banned or this would never happen if we treated the mentally ill better and took care of them. Well, or this would never movie, happen if Well, I think the movie is saying that none of this would have happened if they if he had counseling. Granted, but like I think it's also implicating people. The movie is also implicating the like implicating everyone. Like we are all a part of that. The reason that that happened. Yeah. Well, not. I think it's saying. Well, honestly, I think it's blaming society. 
like I think it's definitely like attacking legislature because there's a whole scene about funding being cut, so he can't have a counselor, he can't get his meds, and then the rest of it's also it's just shitting on the poor. Or sorry, shitting on the rich. Because the guys that beat him up, they're wealthy execs for Wayne, for uh, Wayne Enterprises. Yeah, but then and those, there was those whole, poor kids in the beginning plus, that beat him up. Plus, there's, plus there's a whole thing against against Thomas Wayne, and like him running for mayor, and people saying that he's disconnected because he, you know, because he's so wealthy. Plus, not to mention that Bruce Wayne will grow up to become like a crime fighting hero as a billionaire. So I feel like it's attacking society and rich people. It's not saying all people, just those just those select ones. But I also think like we we get those scenes, but then we also get scenes of people beating him up, people telling him, people making fun of him, people Yeah, it's wealthy people who made fun of him. Or wealthy people beat him up, a wealthy guy and a TV exec made fun of him. The kids at the beginning aren't wealthy. His boss isn't wealthy. The people he works with aren't wealthy. Like, it's it's still saying that, like, we are all creating, like, the monsters around us. Like, it is implicating us as much as it is implicating society. Because we, too, had a hand in creating the Joker. Mm-hmm. What about Mexican Joker? He could be right now. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe on a second watch, things become clearer. But on a first watch, from what I can remember, this is what I'm taking away from it. But I do feel like two viewings is needed for this. One, because I don't think exactly think it plays out like you might like you might think it would. So now that you kind of got your expectations settled, you know what kind of what to expect. I think now See, I the time to go back and look at like the subtle things, the little things. I don't understand why people thought you would get a lot of the Joker in this movie. I never expected a lot of the Joker. There was a couple people at work who I, I kind of had to preface earlier because like I saw it and they're like, oh, I really want to see that. And I'm like, I just want you to know you get like. 15 minutes max with the Joker. The rest of the movie is you with Arthur Fleck. And they're like, I trusted Todd Phillips when he said that this movie was a slow burn. It is. So I, so he was right there. He was a liar (laughs) when he said it was critical of itself. And I, I don't think this movie in any way like glorifies violence. No, I wouldn't say that at all. It's very like harsh. It's very brutal. I think it's very well done. That last scene, like where he's in the cop car and then he gets hit, and like they take him out, and like I thought that scene was amazing. Now, if this movie wasn't a DC property and could just be its own thing, do you think there's anything that's holding this movie back because it's a DC film? Like because there is characters that we that we know of and kind of have like the studio things that have to be put in there to like remind you that you're in the Batman universe. I don't think so. I think like I said because it is called Joker, there is an implication of where it has to go. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. I'm something, okay with that idea though. Something like The King of Comedy or Taxi Driver which are wholly original, they don't necessarily they could go anywhere that they want to. 
basically. And I think without this movie being called Joker and without the DC stipulation, it could have gone it could have taken the time it used to have to explain like to have to explore the DC universe and used it for other things. Like I think this movie should be called Fleck. Fleck. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think it should be called Fleck. Honest because honestly, I feel like the movie should be the tragedy of how a man abandoned to society becomes a supervillain. I like the idea of it still being tied to the DC universe. Well, no, no, I think but like, it, it would have been a cool reveal if they called it Fleck, and then in the end you find out that what he became was the Joker. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, like, I get you have to market it this way so that you make money on it, but like, I think it would be so much more effective if it's like split and the reveal is that it's an origin story for a villain. Like, yeah. If it ends with him calling himself Joker, then you're like, oh, shit. Like, that would be cooler. Yeah, like almost right almost like a, like an unbreakable type thing. Like the low-key superhero origin like superhero origin story. This would be the low-key supervillain origin story. Like, literally all you have to change is, like, the guy can't be named Thomas Wayne. Like, he can still be a clown. He can still be all that. Even, like, nothing else has to change except for like cut the Thomas Wayne stuff. Thomas Wayne doesn't even need to be in it. It could be a totally different mayor. Like that character could be there. Now it's uh now it's uh uh Wimbledy uh, Baxter. Baxter Wimbledy. Give me Baxter like, Wimbledy. Give he, me Baxter Wimbledy shit. <laughs> he is obviously like the threat of him wanting a father figure is obvious. Can obviously still be there. He's obviously desperately chasing like a role, a male role model, which is why he loves Robert Downey Jr. for some reason, or Robert De Niro. I don't. He might yeah. love Robert Downey Jr. I don't know. <laughs> uh, one th- oh, one thing I I liked a lot about this is like I kind of well, I'm a bit torn, but I love Joaquin's portrayal of. Mm-hmm. Look at me calling him Joaquin like we're best buds. Joaquin Phoenix, I liked his, like, the laugh he was able to generate and, like, using that as sort of a condition. I like that it's never, like, maybe he just made that. Like, it's never explicitly explained that it's an actual medical condition. He just has the card. I guess that's true. It could be made up. Could just be, like, a tick or something. I don't know. I thought the laugh was really cool. I thought that was the most interesting of all the laughs I've seen in any of the Joker movies. I like the laugh. I, I like the laugh a lot. He was, I mean, I, I thought that was great. And the, that, to me, was when it felt the most, like, I felt the most sympathy for this character. Like, when he was having his uncontrollable laughing bouts and, like, almost, like, choking because he couldn't stop it. Like, I, that was when it was the most tragic. And it had oh that really gosh. had that really nice like wasn't like a violin that really nice score that accompanied him. Yeah, like I thought like I loved all of that like that those were the moments that it shined for me. I like you know, that the failed comedian aspect is like I was kind of anticipating it to be more of the movie. I'm glad it's just kind of something that it's hinted at because I thought we were gonna have to like suffer through a lot of purposefully bad like stand up routines, and I was like. I really don't want to do that. See, I almost wanted a little bit more of that. 
because well, it says like when he says like a failed comedian, you'd think you'd see more than just one attempted stand-up bit. Well, yeah, but then you see how he is, and you understand why he doesn't do it all the time. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. But that then, was like, the most yeah, tragic part could, of the movie. He also doesn't do stand-up until after he's fired. He And, like, I feel like you could look at that clown, like, the clown performance he does, like, I guess he's kind of a comedian there. Like, those are comedic performances. But it's also, he doesn't do stand-up until after he kills three men. And after he admits that when he killed them, he thought he would feel something more than he did. So it's like the killing of these three men, he now has a new... The killing of three men and being celebrated for it, he now has a new lease on life and a newfound confidence to actually do stand-up. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Perhaps. You know what the most tragic part of the movie was? When the little man had to ask him to unlock the door for him? That was great. That was good. I actually I felt so bad in that moment because I just could not imagine being that guy having to ask somebody you just watched murder somebody unlock a door for you. Very tense. <laughs> I thought he kind of locked it on purpose, so like so he was like, so like telling him like, no, you can leave. Then you you saw him lock the door, so I was like, oh wait, maybe he told him he could leave, but like in reality he can't because he locked the door. He's gonna kill him now. Ugh. That was. Cool part though. The dance down the stairs. Oh, the, all the choreography was great. I didn't the, like, did not like the music cue for that. It was a weird, it was a weird song choice to throw in there, but I was okay with it. I liked it. Really? I wasn't overly crazy about it, but I definitely liked this. I liked the stair moment. <laughs> I thought I thought physically he was the best Joker I've seen. I don't know, man. He's still up there for me. I don't know. I think if we had gotten a solo Joker movie with Heath Ledger, we might be having a different conversation. But like, I don't, like when you watch The Dark Knight, like there's not a ton of Joker stuff. Like the scenes that you say Heath Ledger as the Joker, like the seven or eight scenes that you think of like that's pretty much it for the movie it's like he's great in those scenes but like this might be better yeah i don't know but his like well i guess that's more of just the story writing i guess it is hard to compare the two but i feel like but the scenes that he is in it though it like steals the whole thing oh fuck yeah i don't get that from joaquin phoenix well, maybe if you spend more time with the Joker rather than Arthur Fleck. I mean, you don't really get to spend... You spend, like, what, 10, 15 minutes with him? Whereas well, you spend, guess, like, almost an entire movie with... He but as Zach said, it's only a couple scenes, only a couple minutes long. So maybe they all equate to the same amount of time. I still think that Heath Ledger's Joker is superior in performance. But, like I said, I love Joaquin Phoenix's Joker physically. Like, I just feel like just the dancing scenes and the fun that he's having, it seems like a whole lot more, I don't know, what I would want from a Joker than what Heath Ledger gave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will say, like, I, I kind of like the, like, uh, the the original take on his on his costume and makeup. Yeah, his makeup was so good. Just that scene where he's walking down the hallway... 
um, going straight to the stage or the scene where he's doing that pose as the curtain's opening. Yeah. I like, I liked, I liked all that. I thought it was a good, unique, like, look and new look for the Joker that I liked a lot. Yeah. Better than Jared Leto, I'll tell you that. Oh my fucking gosh, he's the worst Joker. Worst Joker. The absolute worst Joker. As I was, because t- people were asking me what I thought, and I, um, this is how I ranked him, my own personal beliefs. I thought Heath Ledger's number one, Jack Nicholson's my second favorite Joker, and then um, Joaquin Phoenix. And then? And then, um, I mean, we're not including the animated Joker. Mark Hamill. Oh, best Joker over Heath the, Ledger by far. The guy who who plays the Joker in the show Gotham? I have not seen the show Gotham. It's not a very good Joker. The, who was the old-timey Joker back when, like, Adam West was uh, Batman? I don't know. I can yeah, picture I him in my head, too. He's down there. Jared Leto's number is the last, though. He's negative 12. Negative 12. Um, Do you guys have anything else to say about uh, Joker? Nope. Uh, it's, It's great. It's a great flick. A lot of fun. A lot of controversy for no real reason at all. Yeah, I don't really understand where that came from, especially being generated by people who had never seen it. Is this trying to is this just trying to get Twitter likes and retweets? Start some controversy that's not there. Maybe, could be. <laughs> Was also living in the age of SJWs and political correctness, and I I don't think this movie really falls in line with that. Well, I just don't see how anybody would walk out of this movie and, like, feel like they need to kill somebody. I definitely will give it credit. It does, it's not like it does that at all. It doesn't glorify violence, as you were saying, Zach. Like, it's just... I don't know. Like, nobody had... It seems like the the more realistic you try to depict violence, the more people have problems with it. Mm-hmm. And, like, it seems like it should be the opposite. Where, like, look at something like Avengers Endgame, where they kill hundreds upon hundreds of, like, alien creatures, and it's like, <laughs> that's fine, guys, it's a movie, alright? Then you, like, you try to do something that's, like, real and shows real implications, and it's like, you can't do that, bud. Like, we're gonna cancel Todd Phillips and Joker, he's cancelled. Kind of like the same Stupid. thing. Stupid. Not mature enough to handle it, I guess. <clears throat> Fucking stupid. You know, I, I don't get the controversy. But again, I think it's just something to talk. It's like, uh, it's just something to point the blame at, something to pass the blame on to instead of, you know, really tackling, putting in the time to tackle deep issues. Well, it's also the movie also does this where. After Robert Nero is shot and killed, the, the camera sort of keeps dollying back, dollying back, dollying back until it's just a bunch of monitors. 
and it's like you see the monitors and you see the news stories start coming in and it's it's not about the tragedy of Robert De Niro using losing his life it is about well how can we spin this death to fit our narrative and like that's what it is showing on the news in those scenes Mm-hmm. Which is a very apt commentary for where we are in the world. Yeah, again, just talking about how society and media, and all of us, all the cogs in the wheel are responsible for the things we see around us. Mm-hmm. We're all just dust in the wind, man. True that, brother. You heard it here, brother. Uh, okay, anything else to say? I don't think so. Chris? I'm good. Alright, star rating. Let's, uh, what would you give the Joker out of a thousand? I'm not going out of a thousand. It's an idiotic scale. Alright, alright, how about out of ten thousand, what would you give it? Not doing that either. (laughs) Okay, how about, how about out of a million, what would you give the Joker? A million. Perfect. What about out of, uh, two point Seven nine five. That's a good question. I know. Joker out of five stars. Four and a half. Five. Uh, light three for me. Let's move on then, and uh, let's talk about some other things that we watched this week. You guys got some good stuff. Uh, I watched uh, all four Christopher Nolan films, and from this decade. Okay. So, Chris, I will uh, let you be the lucky winner who decides which one I talk about first. All four? Yes. All right. Give me the options. Yeah, we got Dunkirk. I'll give you, I'll give you years. You got 2010, 2012, 2014, and 2017. I know. I want 2012. 2012. All right. I watched Today I watched The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh. Directed by Christopher Nolan. Starring... Bruce Wayne and Bane. <laughs> and that was such a good joke. <laughs> I think that this movie is mediocre at best. Yeah. I love Tom Hardy as Bane, but this movie is an hour and 45 minutes too long. There's a lot of really boring stuff in this movie. And I don't buy this, like, he has this particle accelerator that could be used as an atomic bomb, and he literally is just sitting on it and thinking, one day I'm sure there will be someone good enough who will use it for the right purpose. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of Bruce Wayne. You deserve to be blown up. It's so stupid. Like... Oh, so don't worry. Stupid. Don't worry, Marion Cotillard. One day, someone will be wise enough to know what to do with this thing. It will happen. Like, you don't have to wait long enough to find someone who will be responsible. You just have to wait for Bruce Wayne to die, and then you can do whatever you want with it. Lucian's going to die first anyways, right? He's old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Him and Bruce are the only ones that care. So, like, you just, just wait him out. If you're a terrorist, wait him out. Eventually. Because <laughs> that's what go. the terrorists are doing. They're doing the playing the waiting game. Well, so you, if you want to be a terrorists. good terrorist, you got to play the long con. 
Terrorism will always win out over any one person, Chris. As long as there's people, there will be terrorists. That's what Joker taught us. It's true. Yeah. I would. I will say that I really like Tom Hardy as Bane. I think with his voice thing, it is sometimes hard to understand what he's saying. Uh, but I don't think it's cake for you. You watch movies with subtitles. It's true. I did. But <laughs> just listening, I did not know what he was saying. <clears throat> and. I love the scene in the sewers where they fight for the first time. Uh, the Ra's al Ghul stuff is dumb. The Catwoman stuff is dumb. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that this is Christopher Nolan's worst film. See, yeah, it's possible. Oh, and the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff is dumb. Yeah, I agree. A lot of dumb stuff in this movie. A lot of stuff to like, a lot of stuff to hate. The last hour I love is everything like getting there. I love- yeah, I like. I'm a big fan of the stuff of like him in the. I like him being in the, like in the pit. But I don't like what's happening in Gotham at the same time that's happening. Like I like, the Bane sequences, that are sprinkled throughout, except the one at the stock market trade or whatever. But like other than that, like the last hour is good, and then. Just a bunch of boring bullshit in between. A lot of boring bullshit. So I can't bullshit. see the scene of him like at the football stadium without thinking of that freestyle rap video. <laughs> I'm Bane. Yes, that's my name. That's such a good one. That's a good Bane impression, Chris. Thank you. I, I was a lot of times of singing that song. <laughs> <laughs> Not even watching the movie. Just that one, that one video. I like the line in that freestyle where he says... It's pretty clever, actually. Bruce Wayne and the Batman are one and the same. <laughs> when you hear the name, Bane, I guarantee the pain. I'm coming after you, Bruce Wayne. I'm younger, smarter, clinically insane. Imagine The Revenant, but Tom Hardy talks like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess you definitely can't understand what he's saying in The Revenant. No. <laughs> Brings it up half a star <laughs> for me if I can, if he does the Bane impression. <laughs> All right. Well, I watched. Um, see, I watched a little zombie comedy film, Zach. Maybe you <laughs> heard of it called One Cut of the Dead. I'm watching this tomorrow morning. I'm leaving the room. Well, it's incredibly hard to talk about without. Like saying it, it's like it's really hard to talk about without spoilers. So, so talk about it to Chris. Well, no, I'll just say that I liked it quite a bit, and that it's not at all what you're expecting. I know that's not what I'm expecting because everything I read about this movie says it's not what you're expecting. It's not what you're expecting. <laughs> we'll it's like I that. think I think you know what you're expecting, and it's not. We'll see about that. Really? Okay, so if you think you know where it's going, tell me where you think it's going. I'll tell you after I see the movie if I was right or not. Bullshit. <laughs> Go ahead, tell me. Tell me where do you think it's where do you think it's going? I won't say I won't say one way or the other. I just want to hear where you think it's going. I have no idea. Exactly, because you don't know where it's going. Um now this one's a weird one though. 
So does this count? Does this qualify as a 2019 film? Yes. Like so, it's eligible to for 2019's top 10 list. Yep. Perfect. Did not get a release in the United States until 2019. Perfect. Um, so I won't say a lot about that until Zach watches it. Maybe talk about it next week. So then I'll just quickly say I watched The Beguiled, directed by Sofia Coppola. What a fucking bore, dude. That movie's got this move. The Beguiled is essentially everything you don't see in the porno, in the pornos. And it's just I don't know. I'm gonna leave because I love The Beguiled. What, what really? Why after? are you leaving? I want you to. I want you to defend it. Because I have to pee. So we'll just wait a moment. Tell Chris the plot and what happens. So the Beguiled takes place <clears throat> uh, takes place in the South a few years into the Civil War, and it's mainly it's uh, the whole film is set on this. I believe it's a boarding school for young women, and Colin Farrell plays a Union soldier who's injured, and one of the girls stumbles upon him in the woods and brings him back to the school. Where he's nursed back to health. And initially, um, you know, some of the girls aren't keen to him because he's a Union soldier. You know, they hear horror stories about Union soldiers. They think he's, you know, this evil person. And the more time he spends there, the more they get to know him, they got to get crushes on him. <clears throat> and some of the girls had to take a sexual liking to him and him to them. Mm-mm. And... Sexual tension sort of rises from there. And, I don't know, overall, it's kind of an interesting story. Like, I think there's a lot that could be done with it. But ultimately, I think it's, I think it just kind of drops the ball. Like, I think there's moments for tension throughout the whole thing. There's a couple times when um, Southern soldiers come by the school and, you know, ask if they're... Ask if they have any, you know, prisoners needing. So there's a thing where, you know, if you capture a prisoner, you can tie a blue ribbon around your gate and soldiers will come and take that guy off to prison. So there's a couple times where some soldiers come and it could easily be some tension. You know, oh, will they give him up? Will they give him up? Will they find out if they're there or just yet alone? Like, do the soldiers want to search the house and see if they're hiding anything? Like, I felt like those could be moments where... It tests their character and see, you know, what they want to do with him and test their own morality, their own Christian values. But ultimately, it's it's nothing. Nothing's really done with it. They mostly just rely on the sexual tension, which I don't know. I don't think I just don't think is that all that interesting. When in doubt, the answer is always sex, Jake. I know that sex sells, but oh yeah, brother. But for this. I don't know. Ultimately, that's pretty boring. There is, you know, about with like 30 minutes left in the movie, it does go to an interesting spot where I did not expect it to go. But even then, it's, I don't know, it wasn't enough to really get my interest. I thought the ending was pretty unexpected. Really? I wasn't that surprised where it went. I knew they were kind of going to do something like that. It had to end that way. How else could it end? Colin Farrell slaughtering all of them. Claiming the house as his own, living out the rest of his days. Mm. Yeah, I never saw it going there. Says so you might have a weak imagination. With one giant orgy. Also possible. That would have been a surprise ending that I could have gone for. 
The twist you can't resist. <laughs> the twist in his penis. Yeah. Uh, but that's The Beguiled. Chris, what'd you watch this week? I watched... Um... I watched two that are actually pretty cool, but I'll save those for later. I only got four things. I watched. Uh, good for you. Uh, that's, that's that's two more than usual. Three sometimes. So I watched the new season of Big Mouth. Well, okay, so one of them is actually stupid. <laughs> it's funny, dude. I like that show a whole fuck ton. I like that they're focusing on Jay, which is super hilarious. And as always, the hormone monsters get me going. I love this show. The only... I haven't seen all of it, because I think Nick Kroll is obnoxious and not funny. Uh. (laughs) But there is one scene that I remember distinctly laughing at. It's like a music video. It's like, uh, I want to make sex on a lady. Oh, yeah. I think that part is hilarious there's one one bit that they have and i think it's in the second season where one of the hormone monsters is like old disgusting and like decrepit like he is missing an eye and he's missing a leg and he's like a gross hormone monster and he's teaching this guy to like to jerk off and he's just like so he's like what do i do he's like you grab a salt and pepper bird and he's just like doing this motion and he's just like, yeah, normally when I splooge, it has red mixed in. That's how you know you're doing it right. <laughs> oh, I lost it. This is I'm a show surprised. made for me. I was just going to say, it seems like this couldn't be more perfectly made for you. This is It's so funny, though. Have you guys watched it? I saw the first season, watched the first episode of the second season, and was like, eh, I'm out. You're missing out on some good television, that's for sure. I'm not. I don't generally watch TV shows anymore. I just I just don't prescribe the idea that you need eight episodes to tell a story. You can do it in two-hour film just fine. Wow. I guess you're just better than everybody else, Jake. No, just so. you. Just you. <laughs> just kidding. Love you, Chrissy Poo. Oh, sure, sure. Mommy loves you. <laughs> oh, fuck. Zach? Is it my turn? All right, I will... <clears throat> How many things do you have, Jacob? Well, there's one that we both can talk about. Which is? It's got uh, the gauze in it. Oh, uh, okay. Um. So, yeah, I watched... Actually, I didn't, well, I, I guess I watched it, but, like, I listened to the director's commentary for La La Land, directed by Damien oh, Giselle. Well, you didn't actually watch it, I see. No, I, it's playing, I just, I'm not tentatively watching it. We're listening to commentary, we're not watching the film. <coughs> sometimes I am, sometimes I don't. I see, okay. Good commentary? It's a pretty good commentary. <laughs> You so can what speak. do you think? Oh. Um, I've already talked about it. I talked about how much I love it. It's amazing. That's true. Well, you're aware of my initial thoughts of La La Land, right? It's okay. But now my thoughts on it, it's amazing. That you were a fucking Scrooge? I was a Scrooge. I was not understanding. 
Well, actually, first off, let me let me tell you this way. When I first saw it, 2016 film. Okay, so that's three years ago. Okay, didn't really care for musicals. Didn't like Ryan Gosling. Doesn't like musicals. This guy hates um, happiness. I know. Didn't like musicals. <laughs> don't like Ryan Gosling. You put the you make a movie out of that. It's not for me. Fast forward. I still don't like musicals that much. But I love Ryan Gosling. And there's just something about this. I think it just gets fun energy to it. And I think, I think ultimately, like what gets me this time around is just like the story that it's telling. I like it a lot. Like the like a story of two people pushing each other to follow their dreams, and then once you have that dream, you no longer have the person who helped you get there or pushed you there. And like I just think that's a very poignant idea. That I ultimately liked quite a bit. Um, I love the musical numbers. Um, I love the opening bit on the freeway. I think that's great. I love the choreographed dance sequences. I like. I love how they're all shot in one take, so you can kind of just watch the characters unfold, and you know that they learn that whole routine and dance it out, and it looks great. Uh, I like Emma Stone quite a bit. I like Ryan Gosling in it quite a bit. I love their on-screen chemistry. I think they're great together. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a bad thing to say about La La Land. I love it. Because there isn't a bad thing to say about it. No, a top ten movie of the decade, easily. So that final operatic like ballet sequence, it's so good. I'll watch that. I'll watch just that. Operatic ballet sequence. The very yeah, end. Their fantasy. Oh, that whole thing, just like going through how things potentially could have been. Yep. You know, I thought that's a great. You know, that's a great way to end it. I liked that quite a bit. I loved, like, I loved the dance sequence in the observatory. I definitely remember not liking that at all. That was the one. That was the second prettiest part of the movie besides the end. This time around, like, I liked it quite a bit. Um. I think I also have an appreciation for it too. Now, like since I rewatched First Man, not that long ago, and like First Man went up for me, but then when I watched La La Land, I think of Whiplash. Like it's just very obvious that this guy has an interest and a talent for films like based on music, and I, I, I understand not always wanting to do that. It could get maybe boring or whatever, but I think like that's his sweet spot. I. I still like Whiplash more. Than La La Land? Yep. Really? Like, I don't know. I, I love Whiplash. And, like, they're, they're both amazing. They're both really, really good. But, like, I think I will always choose to watch Whiplash over hmm. La La Well, Land. I think the half an hour less running time is a factor in that. But just... I think the more I watch La La Land, like, the more I appreciate it. And, like, it's taking a movie that has not been popular in, like, 40 years and making you be like, I I like this. See, La La Land feels like it captures a love for cinema and for Hollywood. Something that I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is missing. True that, brother. 
This movie could have used a lot of fake movie posters for Emma Stone's character. Yeah, right? <laughs> Look, I just feel as it captures, like, that like that beauty and, like, the mysticism of Hollywood where at any time, any moment, like, your opportunity could arise. And, like, sometimes it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's beautiful when it works out. Like, I just think it captures all of that just really well. Well, because it's such a, so idealistic. Like, you're always looking at the ideal scenario until, you know, the end of the movie, when things get real. The one thing, I think the only thing that I remember thinking that seemed a bit rushed was when, like, how quickly their relationship deteriorates over a couple months, like, within a course of a season. Like, it went from, like, winter to, like, spring to summer, winter to spring, one of those two... And, like, it was immediately went from, like, being on top of the world to, like, down low. And that seemed like a bit of a stretch to go back quickly. I don't know. Their argument over dinner is pretty great. And then he doesn't show up to, like, to her play. Like, I, I could see that being the final straw in just about any that, relationship. Uh, no, that, totally, totally, totally. But just being, like, um, unhappy where, like, your life, like, where your partner's life is at. Um, well, I also think it's trying to hint at, not so subtly, um, that Emma Stone is jealous of Ryan Gosling. I don't think so. The scene is literally lit with green green lights. Yeah, I don't think that she's jealous, though. I Okay, she's not jealous in the sense that she's trying to destroy his career or wants she's... like bad things to happen, <clears throat> but she's definitely envious. Yeah, I think jealousy and the fact that they both had a dream when they met. Like, you know, neither one was act living out their dream, but he's now living out his dream, and she's well, not. He's not well, he's, living he's out. He's his not dream. living his dream, but he's still successful. Where she still is works at a coffee shop and is working on a one woman stage play. Right. Well, wait. So then, oh, you think she's just envious of him, just simply being financially successful? Not necessarily financially, but like. He is being paid to play music. Like, in a sense, he's doing what he's, he wants, even though it's not exactly what he wants. But he is still undoubtedly more successful. Not just successful, but more successful than she is. Right. Given her a definition of success. Right. Yeah, okay, maybe. Interesting thing from the commentary. Um, all of the music that you hear, like the jazz people play... Like, when they're in clubs and whatnot, and, like, when there's music, just, like, ambient music playing, it's all, like, the, the most popular songs from the movie, but just different variations of them. They just play them differently. So, like, when the, he takes her to the jazz club for the first time, they're playing that song on the freeway, but they're just playing it, like, at, with different beats and different tempos, but it's still the same music. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Or, like, he takes music from Whiplash and will play it in here. Or he takes music from Guy Madeline and puts it in here. Like, it's all music that him and Justin Horowitz have created. That's they cool. just use it at different times and at different variations of it. But he has to say, I'm very much in love with La La Land. And kind of, part of me kind of wants to watch it again, honestly. It just It's like one of those movies you go to when you just want to feel real good. Pop in La La Land. It's true. Yeah. 
Whose turn is it? Zach, you can go ahead. I guess that was more of my review than yours. Well, let me... I'm gonna, I got a big intro for this one. So I don't know if this has just been a not-so-great year for movies, or if I was just in a particularly good mood when I watched it, or if it really just is this amazing. But I watched a film from this year, this summer, actually, that was poo-pooed, reviewed on the show by um, uh, the man who is balding more significantly than the rest of us. Oh, that's not true, and you know it, you fucker. <laughs> uh, this is a film directed by Alexandria Ha called Crawl. And I loved Crawl. And I might even go as far as to say, while we've talked a lot about sharks on the show, alligators might be better. No, but continue. (laughs) Yes, the acting is kind of cheesy. The dialogue is not amazing. But I think the alligators look great. I love... Jesus, this guy. I loved all the stuff in the house. I love, like, when they get out of the house, all the stuff underwater looks great. Um, I just loved it, Chris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great survival story. And then just when you think they get out of it, not so fast, pal. It gets even crazier from there. Really? And there's a dog, and the dog survives, thankfully. Oh, my fuck. It's about fucking time somebody made that call. The dog died. I was out. This gets zero stars. I'm just tired of, like, people making the choice to have the dog die in movies. Bastards. Right? Um, But, Jacob, I know you have seen this movie. I have. I take it I like it more than you. You do. It's not surprising. It's not. Actually, I don't know. It's a little surprising. I was I was totally on board to like it. I don't know. It's, ultimately, I just I mean I, I I had fun with it. Like, there's no doubt. Like, I don't feel like I wasted my time at all. But this one just felt like I don't know. Not as memorable as other things I've watched before. I think horror movies in particular have this problem. Um, this one does not, but, like, this movie knows what it is. Yeah, you know there. It knows what it's setting out to do, it knows how to do it, and it just does it well. There are lots and lots and lots of bad horror movies that are made, and they think they're... I don't know. They think that they are doing something that's special and big and profound, and it's just like, you're not. Your idea is not that original. Sit down. Shut the fuck up. And just make a movie about killer alligators. That's all I really want to watch. Yeah, I don't know what it was for me. Like, I'm going to get a what... t-shirt made about that. I just want you guys to know. <laughs> <laughs> Sit the fuck down. Shut up. And make a movie about alligators. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I didn't particularly find the, the, the CG of the to be that good I mean it's not the best I've ever seen like I don't think it looks bad there are some moments that are okay but then some that definitely definitely stands out 
I like it a lot. I don't know. It's just very, very middle of the road for me. I think, but I think what it comes down to is like shark movies. Like I have a, a big fear of sharks in a way, like a fear and a love of sharks. So like when I see, are you a afraid shark, of how much you love them? I am very much afraid of how much I love them. <laughs> so like when I see them on screen, like no matter what, like it always sends a shiver down my spine, and like I think that's what I want. Shiver on the pr- spine and a tickle on the penis. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for in my animal disaster movies. And this and crawl just didn't do it for me. Did it for me, big time. Man, I guess a a, a a scaly fucking spiky-backed alligator is a lot less creepy than you know a smooth-skinned fucking big-ass shark. Okay, it but is. like, here's but the thing though: to, that... it just comes down to me personally. Like, what affects me? Given that. You know, our parents live in Florida. I've seen numerous alligators in my life. I've never seen a shark. There are plenty of scenarios where I could see myself realistically being attacked by an alligator. I know how to avoid shark attacks. Just don't go in the ocean. You're done. Congratulations, you beat them. (laughs) Until Sharknado hits. Even then. Don't go near the ocean. Live in Omaha. You beat it. Fair enough. Well, if you went to Omaha, you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about gators either. It's true. Seems like the safest place in America. (laughs) Omaha, Nebraska. Good for you guys. You beat the shark in the alligator epidemic. They have killer hogs, though. Hmm. Yeah, but you can tame a hog. Not a wild one. Heck yeah, you can. You ever seen those videos of Ted Nugent in the helicopter just shooting them? No, you just gotta hop on their back and then just like tame them like you would a horse. You know, let them buck a little bit till they tire out, and then you're like, yeah, I'm your master now. Okay, well you don't do that to a horse. Have you seen the movies? <laughs> oh, yeah. easy there, Black Beauty. Thought so. That's a good ass movie. What else did you watch, Secretariat? Um, I mean, we talked about it a little earlier. Um, I'll brush over it. I watched South Park, and I think that this new season's absolutely hilarious. So I'll knock that one off my list. Do you watch um, any movies this week, or just TV shows? No, the next two are movies. The next two are actually oh, I see. movies. Yeah, How many I, episodes is Big Mouth? First season? I don't know, like... 10, isn't it? 12, I think. Oh. And they're, they're half an hour each? Yeah. So, realistically, you spent six hours watching Big Mouth. No, they're 20. Yeah, a little, yeah, probably. Let's say half hour. Essentially, yes. Let's, let's just say they're not quite 30. So, let's say you, you used five hours watching Big Mouth. Uh-huh. Realistically, that's like three movies. Realistically, yes. Interesting. How's that end of the decade prep going, Chris? Decade prep is going to be a rough one, guys. My number 35 is uh, Big Mouth Season 2, Episode 4. It's kind of of embarrassing since we literally decided, like, last January, that at the end of the year we'd do it in the decade. Yeah, but I told you guys that my list is going to be what it is. 
Yeah, and we told you that all of our lists will be what they are. Like, that is, by definition, it can't be anything else. Yeah, I mean, but you know, you guys know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. It's like, this is the one area where, like, being lazy is not a a logistical reason to not complete it. Because, like, it takes zero effort at all to watch anything. Anyways, on to my next movie. Um, I you watched mean your first movie. My you first mentioned movie. One yet. We'll go with it. I watched It Follows. I watched. I listened to the critic commentary. <clears throat> oh boy. Um, I think it's crazy how they can take such a simple idea and make it so creepy. It's pretty creepy. I don't get. Okay, it's just just so friggin' simple. It's like, what is it? Like an hour and twenty minutes long, too. <laughs> It's an hour 40. Hour 40? No, the one I watched is an hour 20. Um, yeah, I mean, I really liked it. I don't do horror that much. I was going to try and watch The Witch uh, after, but Alyssa wants me to wait for her to watch The Witch. Wait, you know, Big Mouth. Big Mouth Season 3. Okay. I'm committed now. I'm a completist. I was going to watch The Witch, but... Man, that season of Frasier is not going to watch itself. <laughs> it's nothing quite like dumb TV to keep you distracted. Anyways, um, yeah, I was a big fan. I thought the idea of it was super simple, and I was super intrigued by that. Nothing else really special about it. Are you kidding me? The ominous, uh, the ominity of the of the creature, I guess. Is that a word? Ominity? Ominity, it's, it's a word now. I think it's omnity. 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 How about that score, Chris? Uh, the score is really cool. I really like the scene when they're going, really just like the whole end of the movie, when they're working their way towards the pool. And then once they get inside and they're waiting, that whole waiting sequence was actually really freaking cool. We're all the naked people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The naked people are absolutely fantastic. The prostitute. Mm-hmm. The prostitute? Yeah, the M. When was there a prostitute? So, she has sex with him. Yeah. He now is being followed by it. He passes it on to a prostitute, hoping that... I, I honestly don't know. It's a really dumb plan. But, like... <laughs> And then the the final shot is them walking down the street and there's something walking behind them and you don't know if it is it or if it is just a person. I guess I just didn't catch the fact that they were going to go with that plan of him having sex with a prostitute. Well, like, they don't say it out loud. He just drives to a sketchy part of town and a woman in scantily clothes walks up to his window and gets in his car. <laughs> I, you're right. They don't say it, but... I guess I just missed that part. I guess that I guess it didn't register when I was watching the movie, but um. Huh, that's really nice of him to go pick up his grandmother, take her somewhere she needs to go. <gasps> Whatever. What is this guy in Uber? What is? Why is she getting in his car? It was a good movie. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. 
Ugh. Now, is the person at the very end dressed all in white? Yes. Following them? Well, they're definitely wearing a white shirt. Okay. That might be key. I don't think it is. Why not? Why would it be? Because a lot of the other times they see someone following them, they're dressed in white. What about no. the naked people? Okay, aside from when they're naked. What about the girl the in the yellow dress? The girl in the yellow dress? When the mother molests her son to death, that's a blue robe. Uh, when they're at the beach, she's dressed in jeans and a t-shirt. That was not freak. white. Really? I think I remember them not being, being white. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I made that up then. That was the creepiest part when they're at the beach. It's a good scene. And I'm sitting there and like, and like you just you can clearly see her walking towards her, but like she's not turning around. You just want to like yell at the screen. I think that was what was so effective, like being able to see things happening in the background that the characters aren't privy to. Yeah. I. I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask you anyways. How deeply did you think about it? Me. Yeah. <laughs> That answers my question. <laughs> I was just looking for a good spook. Did you get one? I got a pretty decent spook. I had to turn on the lights at one point because I remember looking around the corner and I was just like, what if that tall ass dude just came right around the corner right now? Like, I would be fucked. That is a creepy part. Mm hmm. So, you so you're saying you don't know what it's about, Chris? Is it about gonorrhea? Possibly. AIDS? Maybe. Uh, he's, he, I'm pretty sure he specifically said it's not about AIDS. Well, then what's it about, Zach? The more I watch it, the more I believe it is about adulthood. And coming into adulthood. Because... I don't get that. Okay, no, 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 okay. So it's sexually related. We know that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I would say a big part of becoming an adult would be losing your virginity. And so this, it is passed on sexually because as you do that act, you're becoming closer and closer to being an adult. Like... It isn't, they are not high school students, they are college students. And so they are one step closer to being on their own and into adulthood. And when the thing, when it scares the main character, where in one scene, where does she run? She runs to a playground, a symbol of her youth and being a child and not having these adult responsibilities that she is now forced with. And it's, there's other things like that, like... What happens when they like they don't really know where else to go? They go to their friend's beach house and they spend a day on the beach. Again, trying to escape their real world responsibilities and so on. Hmm. I can see that being an element of it for sure. Hmm. I guess I'll have to watch it again with that I, idea in mind. Yeah, I totally see it as coming like a coming of age story almost. But coming of age is like, yeah, you say like into adulthood and not just like literally. Cross, I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Zach? Um, I'll quickly mention that I watched um, Amor, directed by Michael Hanukkah from 2012. Uh, this is a story of... Uh, it's French, by the way. Uh, this is a story of an older couple, um, a woman uh, who has a stroke, and then actually she has multiple strokes, and it becomes... Like, she basically has to rely on her husband to help take care of her. And the film is basically a very sad, uh, reflective tale on, like, literally growing old with someone. And now this man is now watching his wife deteriorate into, uh, you know, not herself. Not, not who he remembers. Not who he married and whatnot. I think it's pretty sad. Um, it's definitely not a, a joyful watch. Um, but I think the film relies too heavily on just it being a sad scenario. Like, it's a similar issue, like, with Benjamin Button. Like, we're not really given a reason to care about Benjamin Button other than that he ages backwards. We're not really given a reason to care about these people other than that this sad thing is happening to them. Mm. Like, it's, yeah, it's inherently very, very sad. And, like... But I feel like what you learn about these people, almost nothing. Like, I still don't really know who these people are by the end of it. And there's quite an unexpected ending that I was not anticipating. Um, but it's very... It's good. Uh, but it's not great. She gets, and, her mem- she gets her memory back through an orgy? Uh, it's like you watched it too. <laughs> um, I will... It's very, like, plainly shot. Like, basically, they set the camera up in, like, a corner of the room, and then they just sort of let the scene play out in front of the camera. And then, so there's a lot of, like, really long takes, and, like, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's more. Um, I also watched another Christopher Nolan film, uh, that I don't think I've seen since I saw it in theaters, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, this stars David Oyelowo, Anne Hathaway, uh, Michael Caine. Uh, this is Interstellar. The space epic about man trying to find a new home. And I would say that... The movie is good until the last 45 minutes. Can't argue with that. I'm out on the last 45 minutes. I do not like... 4K? Yeah. I do not like Matthew McConaughey running around, this, floating around, I should say, like, sending Morse code messages to his daughter, like, get the fuck out of here, Christopher Nolan. Stupid. Yeah, ultimately that's kind of where it falls apart for me too. Like, there's just think about this, right? So, like, there's that seat, the big stuff at the end. Casey Affleck is in the movie, and it's like she's trying to get the message before Casey Affleck comes back. But Matthew McConaughey is literally going into a black hole and does not know if he will live. Like, it cuts back and forth between those moments as if the drama is the same, 
But like <laughs> one one scenario is clearly way more significant than the other. Because Casey Affleck comes back, the worst thing that's going to happen is that he's a little mad. But this is, Matthew McConaughey doesn't even know if he's going to live or not. And they're like, oh, but they're the same. We're going to keep cross-cutting us. Get out. You're done, bud. One thing that's really odd is like when he goes to his whole endeavor and then he literally only cares about what happened to his daughter. <clears throat> yeah, but that's kind of... Well, he never asked. He doesn't ask. He never asked. He's never like, oh, hey, like, and what's up with your brother? Like, where is he at? Is he okay? What I like you- the larger ideas that the movie is, like, talking about and commenting on. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think... I certainly don't think it's mind-blowing. I still think the visuals hold up pretty well. Yeah, the visuals are amazing. The score is amazing. The score is amazing. I think the Matt Damon stuff is dumb. Like, I mean, I like it in concept, but, like, this planet doesn't look that cool. He's not that cool. It's just dumb. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it comes it comes after that long like that pretty long set piece of them on the other planet. So I feel like by the time that all unfolds, and then you still have like another planet to let that whole thing unfold, I think like that's where it kind of lost. So maybe if you cut you the could, first planet, you yeah, might, that might be more interesting. You could cut that all together. Like it's not necessary. That's true. Or combine it all. Like it is also. That part doesn't make any sense because they know that one hour on that planet is seven years their time. And so when they get the data, they're like, well, she's only been here ten minutes. Yeah, how how did you not know that? Like, you literally discussed that before you even exited the ship. And yet you think that she's going to have all this data for you to collect. And that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's a solid point. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, like, it's very easy to calculate. Like, well, she's been gone for 10 years. Okay, she's literally only been there an hour and a half. Why would she have any usable data? <laughs> that is a solid point, Zach. Stupid. Very good point. But yeah, I still like the movie, but it's not amazing. <laughs> <laughs> shits on it for 20 minutes i still like it like it's a good time that is what we call the classic chris review <laughs> let's see i watched um movie directed by bennett miller called fox catcher starring steve carell Channing tatum follows uh the olympic wrestler Mike Mark Schultz, Mark Schultz and his brother, whose name I can't remember at this moment, who Dave. get recruited, Dave Schultz, thank you, who get recruited by John DuPont to represent uh, <coughs> his uh, fox catcher estate in the Olympics. And it's kind of just a story about uh, sort of how blind faith and a wealthy lifestyle can sort of corrupt you. And ultimately, like what that uh, uh, what that can lead to, and I like it. I like I like I do like Foxcatcher. I think the problem for me this time around is knowing Steve Carell a little bit better and watching The Office as many times as I have. 
it's impossible not to notice his little Steve Carellisms in this movie. Like a lot of Michael Scott's performances, like his little his little facial features and his facial expressions and the way he does things in a certain situation and kind of just how he acts, like that is also laid on to John DuPont. And it feels more like Steve Carell than it does John DuPont. So a lot of I think a lot of the movie is ultimately very distracting because of that. Especially like especially moments when Steve Carell is trying to be serious and give meaningful talks or have a meaningful scene. And it's very distracting to notice those little mannerisms that he has. Um, but I love I love Mark Ruffalo as Dave Schultz. I think he's I think he's the highlight of the whole thing. Um, I think one of the big problems for me is kind of how quickly Channing Tatum's character sort of dissolves and goes against John Dupont. I feel like there should be a little bit more time between like really kind of building that up and exploring things. Um, because then if I think it would feel a little bit more cohesive. Because right now it feels like two very distinct phases of the movie. One where Channing Tatum was very much in love with John Dupont, wanted to do anything he can to please him, and then all of a sudden the polar opposite. So, so I wish there was just a little bit more time in the middle to sort of connect that and make it feel like a cohesive film. Um, but overall, like, I, I do like it. Chris, your final movie? Um, my final movie I watched was The Squid and the Whale. Um, weird stuff with semen, dude. A lot of semen. <laughs> A lot of semen. Um, I was not expecting that. I know you guys talked about it before, but like, I was not expecting it to be so weird. I, I it, this movie turned me off of Jesse Eisenberg completely. I just did not like his character at all. I didn't like him at all. Yeah, but I don't think you're really supposed to. Oh, I know. I'm not supposed to like him as a person, but I just feel like now that I every time I see Jesse Eisenberg in a role, I'm just gonna be like, ah, oh, fuck, it's Jesse Eisenberg. It's a squid in the whale guy. No, well, it just seems like such an ass, dude. <laughs> Well, thought it, it was funny. Like, it was definitely funny. Um, You're a jerk. I mean, I'm a jerk. Oh, Noah Baumbach does some good shit. I'm a, fan, I'm a fan of his movies. I'm finding. Mm-hmm. You've said mm-hmm. nothing positive about this movie. I don't know how I would come to that conclusion. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Jeff Daniels is really interesting. I like him. I like Jeff Daniels just in general, but I thought his performance was very nice. Um, I like the scenes of when you're having... I would describe them. Well, I like the scenes when you're having the kid alone drinking. Because there's nothing I like more than a, you know... Kid drinking? 11-year-old drinking a beer. Boy, do I I love (laughs) underage drinking. I don't and come everywhere. It's just like the scene of him looking into the mirror and he's drinking a beer and then he's just like, "Oh no, stop!" Chris, if that if that little kid watched the Silver Linings Playbook every night, would it basically be you? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Although I was never caught putting semen inside the library. You were never caught doing it. I was going to say you were never caught. caught. Because, <laughs> you know, that was, that was kind of a go-to thing for me in middle school. Had a real good time. Never went to the library without a fistful of cum. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. Reading's fun with a handful of cum. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. April said. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> the, o- the only scene I liked with Jesse Eisenberg was when he elbowed that girl in the face. It was funny watching him elbow her in the face. Violence against women, that's what you're into, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was just funny watching him fail. Mm, okay. I still I still don't buy that nobody recognized that he was flagrantly ripping off a Pink Floyd song. Yeah, I don't buy that either. Like, you can't tell me there wasn't one person in the crowd that would have been like, oh, weird. I've heard that before. Like, where have I heard that? Wait, but isn't that how they find out? Because he plays it and then the in a crowd? The teacher does. But it's like, can't believe it goes through all those stages. And, like, it literally takes that girl in the odd, that girl that was there to be like... Yeah, I know what you did there. It's just funny that, like, it's just funny that, like, his parents owned that album. That's how he ripped it off. And then they play it for him, and he's like, wow, you made that whole thing yourself? I wish that they were to use a different, like, song besides Pink Floyd. Like, ima- like imagine he plays in this acoustic version of, like, Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue. Like, if it was, yeah, if it was, like, a deep track Guns N' Roses song, I could maybe buy that. But like also, Floyd, there is like absolutely no way they are. that kid is playing Pink Floyd. He's going to be doing like, uh, you know, something off of Under the Table and Dreaming by Dave Matthews Band. Like, no, that kid's doing Pink Floyd. He's doing Pink Floyd because he wants <laughs> to impress his dad, dude. Yeah, no, that kid's totally doing Pink Floyd. No, I'm, I'm changing. That kid's doing a Bob Dylan song. Maybe, but I still see Pink Floyd. It's a good choice. You two classic. He's doing an uh, an acoustic version of um, Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites. That would be good. (laughs) So I got Christmas Squid in the Whale? Okay. Zach, how many more do you got? Oh, two. Okay, I can talk about two things. Well, I uh, first time watch on this one. This is a big one. This is a big one. So this is a film from 2010, directed by Sir Christopher Nolan, called Inception. This is Wait, first. that was really a first time watch. Never seen Inception before. You're a liar. I've never seen Inception. This is a bit. I've never seen Inception. Really? Really. Okay. Go on. Well, no, I don't want to. Okay, don't. <laughs> um, contrary to most people's opinion of this movie, I have a very different take. A lot of people talk about, it's so great. The last shot, oh my god, it's so crazy, blow my mind. Well, those people are right. This movie is pretty great. 
Um, I disagree with anyone who says this movie is confusing. I don't think it is. I think it's it's one of those movies that would be confusing to a modern audience because uh, they are dumb and they don't want to pay attention. Yeah, it's not exactly laid out for a spoon fed to you. But like, if you just watch it and are engaging in what you are watching, there's zero reason you should be lost. Because the script is seventy percent exposition. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, that's usually would be something that I really, really hate. For for whatever reason, like it works. And I would say the only thing that doesn't really work is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, he's trying start, to do start to sense a pattern with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, he's not great. Stop using him. Like he's he's just trying to do like. He has his nice prim and proper suit. His hair slicked back. He's like, just trying to be fucking cool, and he's not. <laughs> wow. This is a guy who made a movie about jerking off. He's not cool. <laughs> I mean, jerking off's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, great as always. Uh, I love Tom Hardy, actually. He's probably my favorite part of the movie. This whole idea of Inception is pretty interesting, too. Like, I like them having to plant an idea in someone's head. And then I think all the the action stuff is pretty cool. I like the third layer of the dream they go to in the snow. That's pretty cool. Um, the Marion Cotillard stuff is it's fine, I guess. Like, I get why it's there. I love the score. The score is great. Mm-hmm. Just a, just, it's a two and a half hour movie, but like, doesn't feel like there's any fat on it. It seems like it's just gets going and doesn't stop. No, it's a lot of fun. <clears throat> I like where it starts. At the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this movie certainly starts at the beginning. Well, Zach, I watched uh, something that was also a first for me. Also pretty big. Inception. I watched Men in Black 3. Nice. Um, I gotta Sucked. say, I liked it. I liked it an okay amount. Like, It's not as bad as I had heard that it was. Oh. I think it's a lot better than the second one for sure. <clears throat> Is it better than uh, Men, in, Men in Black International? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, okay. Yet, up. as in you plan to watch it? Yes, I will watch it eventually. Um, is it, it once, once it goes up on HBO, I'll, I'll probably check it out. <clears throat> um, but I don't know. I had fun with it. I think uh, it feels it definitely has a different feel than the first two, but I'm kind of okay with that. Um, I think Josh Brolin does a pretty good younger version of Agent K. So I had I had fun hanging out with Josh Brolin and Will Smith, and I kind of like the idea of having to go back in time and stop, you know, do the whole thing. You got to stop the killer before, you know, and alter the course of history and all that jazz. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't mind it. It's it was kind of fun. I like what they did with it. I like uh, Jermaine Clement as the villain. I thought that was pretty interesting. 
Yeah, but he's not better than Johnny Knoxville. He's definitely better than Johnny Knoxville. No, but um, I don't know what it, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the snowy day yesterday, being curled up inside, not doing much. Maybe it's just the perfect time to watch Men in Black Three. Curled up with his favorite Josh Brolin movies. Yeah, I do love me a Brolin <laughs> flick. We watched Jonah Hex right afterwards. Watched Jonah Hex. Watched uh, Labor the, Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. It's a good one. Yeah. Oh, or uh, what's the one where he's a firefighter? Only the Brave or whatever. Man, hanging out with the bro is a good time. Great flick. Great movie. The, years yeah. this, the third one is missing. Uh, a great theme song. Ooh, good. True, true. It is missing a good theme song. Why couldn't Will Smith make another song? I don't know. Because he's a serious actor now. He's done with he all should that make music. A, he should make a song for Gemini, man. Maybe there is one. Here comes the Gemini, yeah. man. Maybe. Here comes the Gemini. Good work. Uh, the last thing I watched is... I got a clone, and I'm chasing myself. Here comes the Gemini. I like the shoulder action you threw into that. Here comes Gemini. It's like it's like it's like a shimmy, but you're like you're going up and down instead of forward and back. Anyways, Chris. Uh, anyways. I watched Dunkirk. Oh, crazy! Which is uh, one frame away from being a perfect movie. Well, one frame. Yes. So the film should end on. The final shot of the burning plane. It does not. It cuts to uh, shithead sitting in the train. True. If it cut one frame from this movie, it's perfect. <laughs> Any other questions, Chris? You can please just refer to that first statement. It is perfect. All right. That's what I thought. What about that last frame? Everything but is perfect. Okay, okay. And I hate Harry Styles, but that's, it could be completely unrelated to the movie. But he's so hot right now. Except <laughs> <laughs> that he isn't. When was the last time you heard anything about Harry Styles? I haven't heard anything about Harry Styles. I mean, I don't really follow... Harry Styles' career. So. That was the point, though. Like, you didn't have to follow it. You, you still heard about it. One yeah. Direction drops a new banger. I, I don't subscribe to One Direction on Spotify. I still have to hear about their new banger. Like, who are you hearing from about their banger? Is Tom at your, at your advanced auto telling you about One Direction's latest hits? He has two daughters. It's possible. Right. Fair enough. Anything else for Dunkirk? That was it? That was it. It's perfect. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll finish it off here by saying I watched Sideways, directed by Alexander Payne. Gross. Kind of, kind of a funny movie. I like Paul Giamatti, and I liked, um, I can never remember, his, Thomas Hayden Church. I think they had that good chemistry together. They, they From George of the well. Jungle? From George of the Jungle. <laughs> I thought they had pretty good chemistry. Um 
A lot of the movie is incredibly pretentious, but played to a very comedic effect, like Paul Giamatti's obsession with wine. Um, I think I think it's just one of those movies that if you're just not into Alexander, which I'm not necessarily into him, I happen to like it, but I think if you don't find like his style of humor funny, like I just don't think you'd find much enjoyment out of it. I think you'd find it more obnoxious than anything. Um, so it really rides a pretty fine line. Zach, you don't find him funny. The guy is a turd factory. See, that's how I feel. nothing but turds. That's how I feel about Noah Baumbach, so... So we, yeah, understand, we understand one another. Noah Baumbach has talent. Alexander Payne is not. I don't know. Um, but I... It's... It kind of... I don't know. It may play on a little bit too long. I think there's, like, it could have made it a little bit tighter kind of kind of change up where it goes a little bit but aside from that like i think there's some pretty funny moments um and i just like paul giamatti i think he's great in it is he as good as he was in big fat liar uh no that's performance of his career if you like sideways you'll love downsizing i'm not sure about that but i am interested to check out nebraska Nebraska I like Nebraska. All right. So I found Nebraska like Bruce Jones very good, but the movie as a whole is one of the most boring things I've ever seen. All right, we'll see. I'll watch it sometimes between now and December thirty first. And after that, I got nothing else. Anything else you guys need to talk about or mention? I mean, no. You sound like there was something after that. There is something you want to say? No, I got nothing. Okay. I'm good. All right. Uh, Thanks for downloading. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Join us next week. We'll be... Should we say what next week is? Live in suspense? Well, we can't do the Breaking Bad movie because Chris hasn't seen Breaking Bad. This is true. You guys don't want to do the Breaking Bad movie anyways. I thought you said you weren't interested. I'm gonna watch it, but like, why? Maybe I'll talk about it what I watched. Why would you watch it if you're not interested? I watch lots of things in mind. I know. I don't get it, you guys. Sometimes I got two hours to kill. I don't want to watch twelve episodes of of uh, uh of a uh, fucking uh, fucking big little liar's mouth. <laughs> you lost me I halfway wasn't... through. I stopped listening. I wasn't that interested in the curious case of Benjamin Button, but we had to watch that turd. True that. That was not a turd. <laughs> Dude, well, Benjamin Button's episode. a turd factory. <laughs> <laughs> refer back to episode 41, Chris, and you'll see that it is a turd. Oh my gosh. There's no winning with you, dweebs. There isn't. Until next week, bye-bye.
I'm going to save that for the outro. <laughs> <laughs>